Happy Easter. Hello. Hello, Miriam. How are you? I'm good. Happy <laughs> Easter to you too. Well, um, we're back to our hospitality ta- talk. And yes, I think we quickly want to make sure that um, our work our our conversation that we have is about the news that happened last week and it's just a conversation between you and me about what happened and I think it's important for everybody to know that yes the talk that we have is very biased and it's very subjective because it's a conversation we have right if anybody's really interested about facts and where these sources are from they're more than welcome to read the Le Porti newsletter and you can dig in and find all the sources that we're talking about. This is like a pudding of our opinions with some facts sprinkled on top. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I think we should we should um, dive in then right away for our Easter special. And it's something you found on Deutsche Welle, which says that um, Saudi Arabia is kind of transforming from their focus from oil into tourism. Right. Cor- correct. They have been doing that for a while, and uh, I think Deutsche Welle has just picked up and listed kind of all the projects that they're doing until 2030. In fact, they have announced a program in, all the way back in 2016 to try to, you know, <clears throat> uh, free themselves from oil dependence. And um, part of that is uh, tourism projects, some of which are worth alone 100 billion, right? Just one project. So their, their thesis is, and they, they take it with a grain of salt that um, basically, well, so there is the hospitality opinion, which we saw on one of the hospitality newspapers, right? Uh, that this is Saudi Arabia is the future. And then Deutsche Welle kind of does a, dip, a bit of a deep dive and says, well, it, should, it could be the future, except we're not sure if Saudi Arabia will actually gain dependence, independence from oil and if it actually is sustainable in doing so. So what so, is your opinion on it? I, I've been personally to Qatar. I have a personal subjective opinion on this topic. And I remember walking well, around Qatar. we're here Qatar. for subjectivity, so, so give, it, give it to us. <laughs> I, I remember walking around Doha and uh, just seeing them, they sprinkled on the streets this sort of uh, e-charge stations for like your phones and stuff. And they were rusty as hell, just, just mm-hmm. falling apart. And I was walking around the city and just feeling like, you know, there isn't... There isn't that friendliness of, of uh, being there as a human being, except if you're in a car, of course. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you walk around Holland, right, or Amsterdam, that place is a result of, I don't know, maybe a century or, you know, almost a millennium at this point of people trying to build life and make it friendly for themselves. While Saudi Arabia is trying to build a brand new city from scratch and design it and make it cool for people and make economy growth that way. So it, it depends, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they have a lot of money. It, uh, it, it's all about how they will invest it, and if the people who work and live there are willing to stay there, and if um, if, the, if there's freedom, you know, freedom of thought, if there is a legislative right, or you can protect yourself in courts, and all these wonderful things that other countries should have if they want to grow. I mean, tourism is about being amazed as well, right? Like to see something that you've never seen before. Or for other people, yeah, having an authentic experience. I think there are different types of tourism, and I mean, I've never been to, I've never been there in, to say Saudi Arabia, but I would love to see it. Just like have it seen once. I think for me, being from Switzerland, 
um, going skiing in the desert <laughs> isn't really something that my mind really can comprehend. So to actually see it once <laughs> would be exciting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I find it a quite good strategy if you know that, I mean, oil is a, is a, a resource that might end at one point. Um, to shift your focus is a, is a good strategy. Yeah, but if you put yourself, if you make yourself reliant on tourism, then you're also <laughs> pretty much in the same trap <laughs> where things can go up and down and uh, it's not very, it's very volatile, right, to, to change. People are not having a good time, they will travel less and, you know, you have 30% of your economy just tanks, aka Spain. <laughs> Throwing in another uh, little hint there. Uh, but but I, I don't want to go now into the topic of Spain. I think let's let's move on to our next topic, which is super exciting as well, which is the brand called B by Marriott. So Marriott has launched a new brand, not to forget that I already have 30 brands. Um, I mean, they need a lot of brands because they have 8,300 properties, which is a lot. But Mish, I, I read it and I tried to figure out what the brand is about. And it just seems to be an HR thing. I, I like I was looking about, you know, what what the, what what does the brand stand for? And it says, um, begin, belong, and become, which is beautiful. But wait, is there actually properties which are going to be called B by Marriott? And does it have a sauna or like I? Asking the all the important questions, Miriam. I don't understand. Did you? I uh, I tried to research this very thing as well, and I found countless articles, which are basically a copy one to one of each other. Yeah. So they're kind of just sponsoring a bunch of PR releases everywhere. But if you actually want to see what they are planning to do factually, uh, I haven't managed to find it. And I've gone through like six uh, pages on Google. So, um, but I, I, that, what it definitely is, is an attempt to attract... Uh, you know, the new generation of people with the slightly more uh, accurately branded uh, HR strategy. Okay. So to me, it just, I mean, very subjectively, sounds like an HR thing. So far it is. Maybe they'll come up with something. I have a feeling they might copy a few, well, not copy, inspire themselves from a few existing brands uh, or reinvent themselves as, uh, as big companies do, right? <laughs> Once a week. Um, we'll see. Um, what it definitely is, as you said, is, is just a, so far a, a pretty cool attempt to try to attract some people on their HR website. Okay, because oh man, I was I was I was going through different websites. I was like, I hope Mish has figured this out because, yeah. So well, Marriott well, is focusing. I mean, it's it's very obvious that hospitality needs to focus on attracting great talents. So let's see if if that works, but. I'm sure they're tracking it because all the all the PR releases have um, links to almost the same places. So, and they are uh, affiliate links. Therefore, I think they're tracking exactly what's going on. If it makes sense, maybe this brand doesn't exist at all. <laughs> Just seeing if they get traction, <laughs> like or, A/B or, testing whether yeah. people will will, will be interested. exactly. But it, it's quite funny to see how almost every hospitality newspaper that we follow has posted something about this. Yes. I mean, and with exactly the same text, by the way. For me, I love to read about new brands, right? But for me, then it's about a concept. It's about you know how how yeah how does the property look like? Where can we go? Where does it and which market do they enter first? And I was just like, okay, (laughs) so it's kind of something that we will see, I guess, in the future. 
on on how that's gonna gonna turn out. I mean, what do you think of this of the slogan "Begin, Belong, Become"? I feel it's something that we all want, but I have this thing that sometimes in hospitality, I feel we're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's the same, you know, the the word authenticity and local. It's pretty similar for me. It's like begin, belong, and become. I think these are just fancy words, right? What really matters is if they will, if they will actually make a separate brand, and if they actually will change the way the service operates, right? So if they still will have a reception, if they still will have the housekeeping department, the the mice people who will attract, you know, events and so on and so forth, and everybody does their little job and they feel like they're in a little factory. If, however, we'll actually change things and people give people opportunity to participate in different things, as, for example, the Social Hub has done, the Citizen M, a few other brands, uh, then I think it will actually change. So so far, we've only seen a cool marketing PR release campaign. Uh, I think what really matters is if they will set up a brand that actually functions differently from the rest of their portfolio. All because right. the, rest, the, the words, I, I agree with you, it sounds great. I feel like I should quit my job right now and go there, but... Uh, We'll see how All we'll right, see how Marriott. it unfolds. <laughs> All right, Marriott. We're we're keeping an eye on you to see what's gonna what's gonna happen with the brand B. Exactly. Next one, let's move on. Um it's going to Choice Hotels. And they have started to to track their ESG data. And I mean I was I was reading it and the way you read it was already very sarcastic. <laughs> the way you wrote it was sarcastic. I loved it here um on Sunday morning. Um, they have 7,388 hotels, and they were only tracking nine of them. I think, I mean, it, it's pretty funny to write about the the, <laughs> the fact that they write, they, they reported only on nine. But the truth of the matter is, they actually only directly operate nine, and the rest is franchises. Um, so I think forcing, you know, 7,000 plus franchisees to, to report on this is a bit more complicated. Um, so we'll give them benefit of the doubt that uh, probably they just didn't manage to get that far yet, but I'm sure they will, right? It's uh, it would probably require you know smart systems to be installed or um, some sort of a admin structure in the entire company that's actually tracking all of this, right? Yeah. So do you know what metrics exactly they are tracking at the moment? Well, the Skift link, the Skift link explains it pretty well. There is basically three tiers, um, but in a nutshell, it's utilities consumption, how much garbage you're throwing out. Um, ESG has a multitude of things you're tracking, whether your garbage is radioactive and you're recycling it, a uh, bunch of stuff. But at its core, what matters is how much energy you're using, what are you throwing out, what are you buying, and if it's coming from uh, green sources. Mm, but also like how you implement or like how you increase your neighborhood, no? And how you support people in that neighborhood or people in the area. Part of it as well. And your employees. Uh, hard for me to, to see how that could be tracked over 8,000 properties accurately without somebody just marking a checkbox in a survey. But um, things like energy can be tra tracked in a very exact way, right? So. Yeah. I mean... I found that really, like, yeah, I think if you make it trackable as well, you make it real in a way. But yeah, yes, I, think this I agree. Whole, <laughs> this whole ESG topic, I think it's super, I mean, the fact that we pick it up every week in different ways and it's all over the news, I, I definitely think it's something that impacts the hospitality majorly. Um, yeah, in the next 
few months, years. Years, decades, lifetime. centuries. <laughs> Our lifetime will be uh, definitely in the topic of ESG, which is important. Um, yeah. Next one. It's all about the news uh, from this week, which I will kind of hand over to you about, you know, what happens in the world and, and how it impacts hospitality. Sure. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we've uh, we've seen quite a lot of things happening uh, and they all kind of resonate and, and uh, with each other. Um, from one, I think the important, interesting fact, thing for me was the, <clears throat> the fact that the stock market, or for example, the S&P 500 index, uh, which is supposed to show the top 500 companies in the US that are being traded on the stock market, still hasn't fallen, uh, meaning that uh, the economy or the people are very, or the investors are very, uh, they believe that this is going to, the economy is doing well, even though we're kind of seeing a lot of other things uh, showing up. However, what um, what we saw today, uh, this week, is that actually from the, the current SAP 500 portfolio, the average amount of uh, sort of the, an average company in there has only increased value of about 1%, meaning they had almost zero growth since the beginning of the year. And basically, like just a few companies uh, had actually the, the really, really high increase. Which For example, General, General Electric, for some reason, showed up and uh, uh, started, you know, increasing in value. By the way, a company that has completely fallen out of the index uh, from uh, before. Uh, so really what it's showing is that the overall, the market isn't doing that great, but there's some top performers. That's, by the way, is the reason why you invest in, you know, in an index and not in a specific company precisely right. for these situations. But it also is perhaps an indication that maybe as a whole, the company isn't doing so great. But I find it interesting. I mean, the fact that people are, I mean, during a recession or during hard times, people always say, oh, keep, you know, keep your money invested and keep doing what you've always been doing, pretty much, because you shouldn't sell at that point, right? So can it just be that, you know, people leave their money in and hope for a better time and they trust that things are going to go up again because in general, you know, it picks up at one point. So that's another reason why <laughs> the stock market hasn't dropped no it's hard to say i mean one one thing is obvious that uh some of the com a lot of the companies that are doing well in the stock market are showing pretty good profit margins right from q1 for example that was supposed to be already reported and finalized therefore technically the companies are making money everything is fine and it's more of a I think we're currently in the midst of it and it's hard to say what exactly is happening and maybe in seven years there will be another the big short movie explaining how everybody was blind to, to the crisis coming ahead what is definitely happening though right is the, just the, the huge amount of money that was printed uh, is causing high inflation and high inflation return is not a really good thing especially when it's like around eight <laughs> percent so we'll, we'll see how that goes but, but for me for me, the interesting news was, and, and to me, this represents German culture really uh, quite a lot. And I think I need your opinion on this, is uh, the German, so there is a, a consumer protection organization in Germany that basically collects consumer feedback. And you can submit an official complaint uh, specifically related to banks. And you can submit a complaint as a, you know, a client of a bank and say that they ripped me off, they gave me a bad deal or whatever. And uh, apparently those complaints have risen. <laughs> in the past two years and uh, this has kind of raised uh, uh, this is also connected to is the German bank industry actually also about to fall to the same issues that a few other banks have fallen like the Silicon Bank 
or is it just a case of Germans complaining because they are not really happy in the crisis situation? Which is to me, to me, I don't know the answer. I think Miriam, what do you think? <laughs> um, I mean, I believe. I mean, the bank system is based on trust, right? So we actually know that if we go to the bank, we're not getting all our money right away back because it's invested and it makes money itself. Blah blah blah. Um, and during crisis, fear increases, and I think especially, and money is very much connected to um kind of survival if i have money i think i can survive and i'm going to be safe and if is my money stored safely at the moment so yes i definitely believe that trust in banks increase like decreases no matter what during crisis so yeah i mean i'm from switzerland and uh, we just had the credit suisse um case um so i think in general trust in banks if you hear that a huge bank that has survived for decades um suddenly is able to be bought for this amount of money um yeah trust is decreasing and people want to know that their money is safe and the service is, is, is safe i don't think it's the germans being you know or the germans complaining um i do think that fair i mean, I mean but i think i guess then it's a case of a chicken and the egg and maybe in this case, we're seeing that, you know, while the crisis is happening, people are complaining more. And maybe that will actually in return cause German banks to 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 collapse. We'll see how that goes. But it's definitely then, I think in my mind, then it's definitely not a, in a good not a good piece of news. Or maybe it's just something that is happening anyways. And this is just a international kind of phenomenon now in this case. And, um, well, I mean, the question is if it will actually impact... Uh, it will actually impact the banks, right? Um, I've also looked up there, um, a, basically a ranking system trying to identify the volatility or the health of uh, banks. And it's a really weird, really, really weird rank because some of the countries in there are, you would definitely not associate with the stability of a bank. So for example, Germany is 66th and 67th is Angola, right? You, do, you wouldn't, so you wouldn't think Angola is a place where you have <laughs> banks that have complete <laughs> safety. Um, so basically, Germany is right there in the middle, right? There's a hundred, about 125 countries in that list. It's called the Z-Rank okay. or the Z-Score. And Germany is right there in the middle. And uh, number one, guess who, is Luxembourg. <laughs> they almost have, I think, uh, like 100% uh, <laughs> safety. Really? But then again, right, they don't have uh, that many people who are going to run away from their banks, maybe. I mean, I don't actually. Maybe I just don't know enough about Angola. Now I, I feel like I want to read about it. Um, it. It's just the list. If you look at it, uh, okay. feel free to go to our newsletter and uh, use one of the links, or just Google Z-score for banks. It doesn't have the typical sort of top GDP countries uh, list, mm. right? You know, top top European countries. There's US. There's Canada. Maybe it's completely random. Uh, at least to you know someone who doesn't know much about what's going on and some of the countries in there you would not expect at all to be in in there so um and yeah the average let's say top 20 gdp countries are definitely not the top 20 in the z-score but maybe that's just uh when banks have uh, government are government controlled and uh have very strict strategies but that might not benefit the population of those countries yet themselves very very safe perhaps at least to some extent. Hmm. Interesting. Let's see what's gonna happen with the banks. I guess another one to mm-hmm. another one to observe. I mean, it's not. I mean, I feel it's something that's not really in, in our power, but very important to to keep an eye on it. 
and keep watching. I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about it again in the future. Yep. Another topic that you've raised are um, the electric vehicles. It's a no-brainer in hospitality, but what's your point with the electric vehicles? I found it quite interesting since the, the, the topic of this week's newsletter, as you might have mentioned, is sustainability. Um, what we saw this week is that Toyota, because of the management change, the CEO has changed, has finally decided to focus more on EVs, electrical vehicles, which they haven't done before, actually. They did a lot of hybrids. And in fact, they were one of the first to do that, the famous Toyota Prius. But they thought that EVs are not the future. And actually, we're focusing more towards the hydrogen cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, the, basically, the article summarizes that they were pressured into starting to say, well, we're going to produce more EVs because it's just obviously producing more money. But actually, if you look at the production of EVs, it might not be the best solution because the way EVs are produced requires a whole lot of resources that this planet might just not have. That's, first of all, lithium. There is a little uh, calculation on how much lithium we actually would need to, <laughs> to change our entire energy infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we simply don't have enough. And on the other hand, all the batteries also use cobalt. And cobalt, basically 90% of cobalt comes from one country. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful country in Nigeria that has currently been uh, heavily involved in a scandal where... Basically, a, journalist, a few journalists went around uh, to look at how cobalt is being mined and discovered child labor, slave-like conditions, and so on and so forth. So by saying you want to produce EVs, you're, you're not effectively saying that you actually want to be eco-friendly, even though it sounds like it. What Toyota basically has done here is just said, yeah, okay, we'll, we, we will make money with EVs as well. Mm, it's actually not very ESG-friendly if we're, <laughs> we're talking about that in a way. I mean, I think, right, like... I always feel it's also part about growth or advancement because obviously like diesel and um, gas cars are not good for the environment either. So there's a certain push that we need to change and we need to have change. Um, But maybe there's still opportunity for growth Um, in how we harvest or generate that, that um, those cars or how we generate that energy in in a way as well um but it, i mean in effect what, what what toyota is saying we're okay with making money uh mm-hmm. and the consideration that is well produced to produce something when you when you say electric cars and you know when you say the car is being charged therefore it's eco-friendly no matter how in energy is being produced by the way and in germany coal is kind of a big part of that mm-hmm. but it's also important how the car is also produced itself right if, if the resources is being used uh, to produce it are uh, eco-friendly or whatever or co2 friendly and how you can actually and, and recycle that car for example lithium batteries are basically garbage mm-hmm. after let's say 180,000 kilometers of, of car driven um and this also jumps on uh, sort of the second part of news uh, that is related to this is that for example europe europeans this year have used 16 percent less energy or this winter more precisely than they did last year right and the economists did a really interesting calculation. They basically isolated um, temperature changes uh, from previous years and saw how the energy consumption was impacted by that and tried to see if those 16% were based on because of rising prices due to the obvious thing situation with, the, with Russia you know, invading Ukraine, or it wasn't actually people trying to save energy because they are being super nice and friendly. And uh, the truth of the matter is, 
4% of the 16% is connected to the fact that this winter was warmer than usual, so people just used less energy. And the rest uh, is mostly associated with price. So 12% is the direct correlation between the higher price, less energy consumption. So I think this also connects to the previous news of Toyota, where a lot of decisions we make are not really based on the fact that we care, but rather because financially speaking, it makes sense. Mm. We so. discussed that last time as well. Uh, <laughs> you're making you're making another point to the point that you made last time. I get it. Okay, fine, fine, fine. I get your point. I still choose to believe that certain people take decisions based on values and, and believe that the world should be a better place. But I think, yes, to reach the, the, the general, the big, the critical mass, I definitely think it needs to go over price and or, or rules. I think uh, we have seen it in COVID, right? You can actually, by making up rules and forcing people to stay at home, you can make a big, big difference. So yeah, price and rules um, will be the one that will push everyone over the edge, I think, at one point. But it needs people who have ideology and beliefs to start the movement so um we're getting back to that <laughs> anyway let's move on to academia i think we haven't talked about academia last time and this time you found an article which um says again that you know the human brain reacts more to the to, to losses than to wins in that sense um that yeah people are more afraid to lose than willing to push to win in that sense did i Yes, and, I, and I'm not sure that is, is what it, that's what it is. That, um, I just thought that, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of news where people are making decisions based, you know, on, you know, increasing prices or a lack of, uh, or the, the potential of losing revenue, like Toyota did. And um, in fact, <clears throat> there's quite a lot of studies. I don't know if, if, if any of you listeners have ever read a, the book from uh, Kahneman on uh, Think Slow, Think Fast. Or a few other books, there's quite a lot of literature on this. This is a repeating finding that basically a human brain is much more alert and much more aware when they, they're likely to lose something than uh, if they're, they're potentially trying to win something. And the study that uh, is listed here is basically a direct neurological study where they monitored brain activity and basically presented to a, a poker gambler the fact that you know they, they lost money and then the same thing when they want money and they just saw that the brain lit up much more where and when <laughs> somebody lost money so at this point i think it's not even a a, a uh, it's not even a hypothesis it's more or less it's close to a fact that that's how we think how that then the question is right how how does that impact actually our everyday decisions and mm -hmm. um, that's the complicated part i think i mean <laughs> to me it just sounds very very human you know I, I think I don't even need a study for this because I just observed myself and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Like if I think it is a huge risk that I could lose something that I really don't want to. And, you know, I, I'd rather cruise along because I'm doing quite fine. So why would I take a huge risk to to yeah to do something? But I think it's nice to, to have it backed up. Um, there is there is right. There's studies that um, actually drive. So, I mean, this might be obvious to you, but, but actually, rationally speaking, there, there was, for example, Dana Kahneman and um, his partner, I forgot his name, um, but uh, they did studies where they presented people two logical uh, things to do. Uh, I think it was decide to basically bet on this, but you might lose this much money or bet on that and you will this much. And actually, mathematically speaking, your probability was uh, much higher to win 
in a certain situation, but people still try to be risk averse because to them subjectively it seems much more much much better case. Even though mathematically speaking, or if we would be robots, mm-hmm. it would make sense to to take the other option. So it, it I mean that's kind of the point. <laughs> Maybe what I'm trying to make is that we we don't always make good decisions based on our biology. You're, you always vote for making decisions based on data. I think that makes us a good team. That's why I like <laughs> I'm more the emotional person. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't. My gut says no. So, <laughs> but it's good, you know. We both have a mix. You don't always have good data. Sometimes you have to listen to yourself. Exactly. I I agree on that. So I I really want to move on to the last topic, which is um, also connected to the book tip that you gave, but there is one article, it's the last one, which says, you know, how to build a winning hospitality business. And I think if, you know, if somebody's really interested in that article, they should really go and read it. Um, but, you know, I found it interesting because it says story beats design. And I think if we build a business I mean, in my mind, again, often I'm like, oh, you know, how is it going to look like? What, you know, how are people going to feel being in it? But that article clearly states that having a story is more important than how the place looks. And I I feel like you were going to make a point with that anyway. But (laughs) again, um, I find it very interesting because in my mind, it always seems that I would value design very highly on how well a business is going to do. So why is the story more important? Uh, to me, this is kind of a repetition uh, of the same thing over and over and over again. And that's why I've also listed a pretty handy book that actually I think takes this article to the next level. Basically, right, um, I think a lot of us have seen this graph where there is the evolution of marketing, you know, how to try to convince someone to buy your product. And then at its core, in the beginning, it was like, well, it has to be good price, then it has to be good quality, then you have to convince someone that it is actually useful to them. And now people are thinking, well, it has to be emotionally attached, uh, emotionally interesting to someone, right? It has to be connecting to their idea of just just do it on Nike or something. But um, um what the book says, and also this article kind of touches on, is could be even more complicated or much more nuanced than just emotions. Because emotions is also just a core thing we have. But what we associate ourselves with and connect ourselves with is um, culture, right? So, for example, you are a Star Wars fan. Not, not you, Miriam, but <laughs> you as a human being potentially are a Star Wars fan. And you might be building your life around... Uh, Star Wars memorabilia, or you go around to social clubs and uh, you meet people and you talk about Star Wars, you, you dress up, you go to I don't know, exhibitions where you wear the Darth Vader costume, right? And that's your life. Um, now, I'm not saying everybody does that, but if you then want to sell someone who is a Star Wars fan Star Trek t-shirts, then you've completely missed the point, right? And uh, that that's the whole point. In and, the, and the book explains it really well with a lot of business cases where if you as a business actually uh, understand the culture you're selling to and speak their language and understand how they think, what they value, whatever that culture may be, you have to choose one or maybe you're already in an industry where there is a culture that you just have to play along with, um, then it will be much more stronger than anything else at all because people tend to care about actual cultural values, belonging and then all the things like emotions comes into play, but it, there has to be a language that you be speaking to. Wait, so you're, what you're saying actually is that culture beats 
whatever other strategy. You're not story, story. But, but or is or is that is that the same for you? Because my question was, why is the story more important than how it looks? So you're saying you're saying the story is the culture because I have just been reading or listening to Brené Brown and she says, you know, culture beats strategy any day. Is that pretty much the same? Sorry, did you say culture beats strategy? Yes. Yeah, so but that's to me that's the it's more or less the same thing. A story? Okay. Like, yeah, that's uh, what I'm saying. And a culture to me are very much connected. Mm. Yes, correct. Okay. Um and yes, indeed, you can make the most amazing design of your property. But if 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 it's just a cool set of chairs and a comfortable bed, you will be just sort of one out of many uh, properties that have done that. But That's if true. you have actually tried to connect a story to it, people will actually go out there and talk about it, remember it. and um, Yeah. And I mean, the story starts with your employees, right? And the culture is set within the company. And if your staff or your team is part of the culture or lives that culture then it's very easy to translate it into into their everyday life and into the property or whatever hospitality business um you're setting up in that case correct nice well um i would say that's it for today thank you so much for the hospitality update thank you rich miriam have a wonderful day and once again uh, this podcast is released once a week on Mondays if you want to see any sources that we've discussed feel free to check out our uh, our wonderful newspaper uh, newspaper newsletter and we will provide all the links necessary in the description below as well thank you bye bye bye